If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Burnout is frequently discussed on this podcast and in the nonprofit world, and that is because it is a real problem. As someone, just speaking for myself, who seriously burned out, and I think I've shared this before on the podcast, when I did, I became a toxic human being. I was a terrible person to work with. I was a terrible spouse. My burnout impacted every area of my life. And so that I know that burnout carries real physical and mental health risks. And it's one of the reasons, again, that we talk about it a lot on this podcast. And I also know that there are a lot of executive directors and future executive directors who listen to this podcast. And please believe me when I say that your burnout carries an even greater risk for your organization. It can lead to alienated staff and constituencies, low productivity, high turnover, and ultimately ruin a lot of people's lives along with yours. When you are the leader and you burn out, you impact a lot of other people. So the big question is, what can we do about it? And here to answer that age-old question and inspire us all to create a healthy work environment is Natasha Wallace, founder and chief coach of ConsciousWorks. Natasha is familiar with the effects of burnout. She left a great job as an HR director after realizing that she was beyond burned out, and her experience inspired her to help others avoid that same fate. And she is doing that through her company, ConsciousWorks, and also through her book, The Conscious Effect, 50 Lessons for Better Organizational Well-Being. I have really enjoyed reading her book over the past couple of weeks and have dog-eared and tabbed many pages. To say the least, I think that Natasha and I will have plenty of fodder for our great conversation. But before I formally introduce her, I want to just share a quick story with you. So we typically schedule about an hour for each podcast recording session, even though most episodes are only 30 to 35 minutes long. And in every recording day, we typically have 
technical issues with at least one of the recording sessions that we scheduled. Maybe it's with a mic. Maybe it's because there's some weird background noise going on outside, like a landscaper or something else. We never know what it's going to be, but I can always guarantee that at least one session will have some issues. And so when Natasha and I first got on Skype, we had a number of issues we had to work through. And I often see guests when that happens, start to have a meltdown because things are not working perfectly as they expected that it would. And, you know, you can just tell that they were already kind of on the edge when they got on Skype. And this has just pushed them over the edge. I was so impressed because I saw Natasha model the behavior that she talks about in her book, The Conscious Effect. She was super amenable, She was calm the entire time. We were still smiling and laughing and, you know, honestly, still connecting as human beings, even though we were trying to work through this kind of weird technical issue. So I always love it when there's someone who comes on to talk about the importance of setting boundaries and the importance of being healthy at work and then exhibits that while we're actually talking. So please, with that really long intro, Join me in welcoming author, speaker, coach, and burnout expert, Natasha Wallace, to the podcast. Hey, Natasha, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. That You've, you've inspired me already. Can you, can you just hang around with me a lot? I'm sure I'm sure you'd make my days a much brighter, a brighter place. Well, you know, and, and as I share with you, as I showed you the, because we're on video on Skype, when, when I showed you your book and I kind of showed you how I've tabbed your book, it, it's really just such an incredible book. And I thought maybe a great place for us to start would be for you to share with our listeners your own story of burnout. I just think there's so much value in, in us kind of starting there. So, so people understand, you know, that we've, we've all been there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is interesting because, of course, I wouldn't be doing any of the work that I do now without having gone through that burnout experience. I mean, it's sort of it was transformational, terrible and transformational, the two T's. Um, And I always been very hardworking and dedicated to my job and very passionate about what I do. I've got a background in HR and I always actually very much enjoyed my work it wasn't as if like my whole career was you know full of stress and trials and tribulations for the most part I really loved working and I loved what I did and then about three three years ago now I I burnt out um, which was a massive shock to my system because I didn't anticipate it it was really really tough because I do hear more and more people talking about burnout these days and they'll they'll say oh I'm really burnt out right now and I think sometimes when somebody says that or a lot of the time when they say it they mean they're just very very tired or they're very exhausted or they're done in or they've had enough or they're feeling a bit low and all of those things are uh, you know tough to deal with in their own right Um, but when I talk about burnout it was a very very deep and difficult experience where I lost my confidence I totally, totally lost my energy. I found it very difficult to get any energy together on a day-to-day basis. Um, I felt really low. I felt hugely anxious. I found it very difficult to make sense of what was going on around me. I found it difficult to make decisions. So my burnout experience was was very, it had a significant impact on my ability to sort of be me and be, be happy. 
and it took me a really long time to get over it. So that was that's how I felt. And what contributed to it was a combination of me just working too hard for too long and not taking care of myself. Me not paying enough attention to my own needs and what I needed to sort of keep myself at my best and an inability for me to do what I felt would be more meaningful work and do something that I, f- I felt was was really purposeful and had the impact that I wanted to have. So it was all of those things that led me to to feel like that. And I'm so grateful that you shared that with our listeners. You know, people are not alone. We all at some point in our career kind of probably are going to experience that burnout even when we love our jobs. And and I love the fact, because like you, I lo- I've always loved what I've done, but I still burned out. And w- one of the things that I, that I tabbed in your book, and I just kind of want to, for us to talk about it just a little bit, is burnout is really different in a lot of ways than other things we experience as humans. And so, for example, you know, you kind of talk about if you have a bruise or a cut or if you break your leg, you immediately know you have a broken leg. And everyone around you knows that you have a broken leg. And as you're mending, they know that you're on the mend because your leg is in a cast. Burnout's really different because, you know, you, you talk about, I think, you know, that it typically happens more slowly and we oftentimes don't see the red flags for it. Yeah, absolutely. And people say that to me a lot now. How do you know when you're going to burn out? Almost like they think that something's not right, but they're not totally sure whether that's the track to burnout and they want to know what the signs are. Um, Interestingly, I don't tell this story very often, but there was a sort of existential moment that happened to me as well around that time where I was in London and I I was getting into a cab to go home after a long day of um, running a a leadership development event. And a chap on a bike came up and asked me for some money for a cab because he needed to get to hospital. And he had a big uh, wound in his arm and and it was pretty horrific, this wound. And, um, And it was, you know, it was bleeding. And I gave him some money and tried to get him into the cab that we were getting into. And the cab driver wouldn't take him and said he was a con artist, which was all very bizarre. Anyway, we ended up getting in the cab ourselves. And the the taxi driver was like, oh, he's been doing that for years. He cycles up and down the high street here and he, he cons people out of loads of money doing that. And he keeps that wound live. And I just totally broke down because what suddenly dawned on me was that I don't think I I can't draw this parallel whilst I'm telling the story. It was one of those in the moment, very emotive, immersive experiences where I saw something that societally had been normalized. This guy had serious mental ill health. The cab driver didn't even see him as a person anymore. He just saw him as a real annoyance who was getting in the way of his clients getting into the cab. And I suddenly drew a parallel I think this was subconscious at the time, but it became apparent over the course of the sort of 48 hours after that, drew a parallel between the world of work where we normalize a lot of things that are just not right. It's not okay that so many people are suffering with mental ill health as a consequence of workload, pressure, management style, the demands that work puts on them, ineffective operational systems, all that sort of thing. It's not okay that people feel like that and that we all sort of sit around and go, well, that, that's just work because that's exactly like the cab driver going, oh, that's just that guy. I mean, it just, it just was so stark for me. And that day I thought I, I'm not going to 
bolster a broken system in the wrong way anymore. I'm going to get out there and talk about why it's broken and try and help people to fix it. That sort of changed everything for me. Oh my gosh, I am so glad that you shared that story and and that parallel and metaphor because it's just so apt. As you're talking with folks, I know you do a lot of coaching and I know you also work with a lot of organizations that are trying to fix broken systems. And when I say organizations, I believe it's, you know, nonprofits, for-profits and governmental organizations too. So what are some of the most common breaks in the system that you're seeing? Mm, That's so interesting. So by the nature of a system that is made up of human beings, it will be broken. So if if we know <laughs> that any system that is made from people um, is going to be dysfunctional in some descript- in some way because we are dysfunctional as people, that's a pretty negative frame to look through. But I think we just need to recognise that as people, we're not perfect. And so the system can never be perfect. So some of the issues that come up in a, syst- a people system, um, in a team, in a group, in an organisation – are the inability of people being able to speak up. You know, this exact issue of, I can see some stuff going on here and I don't actually think it's right or it's not enabling people, it's not helping people. Um, I can't see that that person is able to do their job effectively or maybe, you know, you might feel annoyed that somebody might not be doing their job properly. Often that is just created by the culture and the environment that they're in. So that... um, ability to be able to speak up and tell the truth, be honest in a system, in the environment is so important, but very difficult to achieve because even in the most supportive, empathetic, compassionate working environments that I see, it can be difficult for people to really tell the truth because they don't want to be disruptive. So that's, that is one of the issues that I see. Um, Another issue, which is one that most people will see, is that people work very, very hard so, you know, we, we all want to do a good job. We all want to be valued. We all want to be recognized for the contributions that, that we make to the environment that we're working in. And there are a ton of people out there just working very, very hard, tirelessly working in pursuit of sort of serving the, the organization or the team that they work in, which is very, very admirable. But often we're putting the environment that we work in or the people that we work with Um, or our family ahead of our own needs. And slowly but surely that erodes our energy, our confidence, our ability to think straight and absolutely our ability to perform well. And the other sort of key issue that I, I see is, you know, managers who are just not trained to do a job that enables people to feel included and to grow. And that really often I just don't think is their fault. I think that there's a sort of um, systemic problem here where people do a good job based on the professional, the technical expertise that they have. They're promoted. I was one of them. And then you make a ton of mistakes. And unfortunately, your mistakes and lack of ability to lead and manage are impacting people. I think that, you know, it's it's all very well sending a manager or a leader on a course and talking about, you know, effective teams and effective communications and how to manage change. But realistically, the way that you develop as a manager or a leader is to really, really get a sense of yourself. And this is where the consciousness comes in. So we need to be helping people understand who they are, the values that drive them, what they believe, the fact that people need to grow and develop and be supported in the workplace to do great work. They need to feel included. So I don't think enough work has been done around that to date. 
And, you know, we really need to get better at it. I love this because you just touched on three things that are near and dear to my heart, especially, and I see this so often in the nonprofit sector. I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, where individual contributors, because they're, for example, a really great case manager or a really great fundraiser, suddenly get promoted and, and they're running the department. But we, as leadership, have not given them the coaching, training, mentoring, and support necessary for them to understand themselves and understand their role and do it well. And then we scratch our head when we're like, wow, this person was a great fundraiser or a great case manager, but why are they, why are they such a bad manager? We scratch our head and it's because we are bad leaders. Like we are not doing what we're <laughs> supposed to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time, but I mean, I, I talk about leadership all the time, obviously that's my subject matter um, expertise, but I, I still got work to do. You know, and I've learned I've learned a ton about myself in this journey and in this process. It's almost like my awakening broke me and I've had to put myself back together again. And I recognize the areas where, you know, I was I was good as a leader and I recognize the areas that I just wasn't good enough. But I've I've had to put quite a lot of effort and work into that. And I think that probably a lot of leaders don't recognize that leadership is sort of an art that you need to master. It's not something that for most people, it's not something you just turn up and it just happens and it happens to work out. You've really got to think about it. And it's hard work and it's an emotional journey. And you have to be able to critique yourself and you have to be able to take feedback and you have to see that you're not perfect and that you're flawed and be willing to be vulnerable and to speak up about that to yourself and to the people around you in order to build your leadership confidence. But it's not easy. Like, none of this is easy. But if we are to, as leaders, enable people to be at their best and to contribute in some way to them having some sort of happy life, <laughs> you've got to do the work. You've, you've got to do the work. And I love it that you talk about this so eloquently in, in your book, The Conscious Effect, and one of the things that really resonated with me, because I, I know pre-burnout, I had reached this point and I had to really move past this point after my own burnout, is so often we think of the first 30 years of our lives as our time to learn. And then the last 40 or 50 years of our lives is the time to be the expert. And, you know, really, we need to be focusing on learning and growing throughout our lives, not just, well, okay, you know, I'm now a subject matter expert in whatever it is, fundraising, leadership, case management, whatever it might be. And so, you know, now I'm just going to expound on this and I'm not, I'm not going to learn anything else after this. And so I think that's kind of what you just spoke to. And I know you talk a lot about that in the book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just the next stage of your development. I think our ego can get in the way as a leader. You can think you've sort of made it. But also, I think the sort of uh, societal expectations of leaders to have the answers. I don't think this is all our fault as people. I think that, you know, historically, leaders were, were, were seen as, as being able to command the environment. They would gain respect through having all of the answers, through telling people what to do. And of course, leadership has evolved. So leaders don't have to have all the answers anymore, but they need to be able to um, facilitate and enable other people to come up with the answers. So they're almost like the curators of teams. You know, they're trying to they're trying to create an environment and enable conversations that help people figure out 
what's necessary. But I do think leadership has just changed so much over the years. I mean, don't get me wrong, there isn't, I don't think there's a one size fits all approach necessarily, because I think that different things are required based on the situation. But I also recognise that there's leaders are under a tremendous amount of pressure these days. And roles just get bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, as we try and cut costs or as clients and customers' expectations increase and as we focus more on personalization and not like a one-size-fits-all approach to um, service delivery, um, it it's, creates more complexity and pressure for leaders. So the only way for leaders to achieve sustained performance is to enable their team to take ownership, I guess, for coming up with the answers, for changing things, for creating, for um, spotting what's broken and fixing it themselves without the leader always having to make those decisions. But it, it requires a level of confidence in yourself and the people around you to allow that to happen. I think that's so important that we talk about the communication and organizations and what we and leaders are doing. And one of the other things that you brought up in your book, and I think it's so important for us to remember, is that we as human beings are really programmed to repeat patterns. And so if our pattern as a leader is to come into the staff meeting and say, you know, okay, I'm always right, uh, even if it's not what you're saying, if it's what you're projecting, I'm always right, people are going to bring me problems, I'm going to tell them what to do, and they're going to walk out and that's what they're going to do you know, we're programmed to repeat that pattern once we get into it. Or, you know, if our pattern becomes to check email every night at 930, even though we really should be spending time with our spouse or our family or time meditating or whatever it is that we would rather be doing or should be doing for our own well-being. If we program ourselves to do that, then it becomes a pattern. And and we as human beings just continue to do that over and over and over every night at 930, even when it's not an emergency. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the patterns that I had when I led a team in my last role was that I would log on to my laptop at night and I would get all my emails answered because that's when I had time to. At one point, my team turned around to me and said that me answering emails at night was causing them a lot of stress because they got these flur- this flurry of emails. So if they were online for whatever reason, say they were, you know, they could receive emails on their phone, um, they would see basically email after email after email popping up from me in the evening, which stressed them out. Um, and if they weren't online and they came in in the morning and they turned their computer on, then they had this like wave of work all of a sudden hit them. So they asked me to stop it. But it was something I was not conscious about at all. And I didn't realize the impact it was having. And I can remember when they said it to me at the time, I just sort of thought, well, don't don't look at the email. Like, don't look at the emails and don't feel like you need to respond to them straight away. I'm just getting my work done. Um, But I recognize that you have like a ripple effect as a leader. As long as I was doing that, I was causing some sort of ripple in the team, which was uncomfortable for them. So we set a new rule as a team that there was no emails after seven o'clock at night, which actually even seems quite late, you know, me talking about that now. But that was the rule that we had. And then and then that, you know, that seemed to make a difference. But, yeah, I just think a lot of the habits that you have, because you have a different expectation than the people who are being impacted by your behavior that you just think, oh, it's fine, you know, just just don't answer. But, you know, for them, they have an emotional response to it. 
Absolutely. And and it, it's interesting because I do see that so much. And we live in this miraculous modern time. And I, I think I may have shared with you, um, most Sundays I have a family obligation that lasts about two hours. It's one that does not require a lot of mindfulness, but it does require my presence. And so it's not at all unusual for me to work for those two hours. And I'll do busy work and that sort of thing. For me, though, you're right, because I would notice I would send emails and, you know, I would get responses on Sunday and then I would reply back. So, you know, it's when I'm doing it. And I reply back, it's Sunday morning. You know, we, you know, I'm not expecting you're going to respond. And then they would anyway. And then I discovered this really neat feature that I'd really try hard to remember to use, where, as you also say in the book, we're imperfect as humans, so I don't always use it because I forget sometimes. But um, this really neat feature with email where I can delay sending it. And that's true in Outlook and it's true in Gmail. And so like if it now is just a good time for me to check email, I can say, great, send it Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and it, it will get sent at Monday morning. Yeah, absolutely. This is what I mean by consciousness. I mean, some of this isn't rocket science. This is just becoming aware of our own patterns and deciding whether they're helpful or harmful to you or your team. And once you've figured that out, you can make some changes that do make a difference. It also helps if you have a team who can be honest with you. Uh, you know, my team did turn around and tell me that that wasn't cool, <laughs> what I was doing. I mean, God only knows how long it took them to t- tell me. But if, if you aren't creating an environment where people feel like they can be honest, you actually are just putting more stress into the system. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of stress in the system, I don't want to stress out the flow of this podcast, but I got to ask you an off the map question although it's not that far off the map because I think it probably really relates to what we're talking about today. I understand that you have a meditation practice and I would love it if you shared a little bit about that. Okay, so I I try to get to grips with the sort of headspace type of apps where you, you meditate using uh, guided meditation, but I just didn't find that worked for me. So about a year ago, I did a transcendental meditation course it, was, it didn't take very long. It was over the course of three days and it was a couple of hours a day where I learned transcendental meditation, which is a mantra based meditation technique. And that has been a game changer for me because it's um, rather than trying to sort of stop the thoughts from coming, it, it actually embraces the thoughts. So it says so you're going to have tons of thoughts when you're meditating. So have them and notice them and then let them go. And then another thought will come. But actually, I meditate um, once a day, twice if I can. And uh, it just it keeps me so much calmer. And the only way I know that is because if I miss a day of meditation, I definitely know that. <laughs> wow. And, and when you say you're doing it once or twice a day, can you just sort of share? Is it 15 minutes, 10 minutes, uh, 75 minutes? Like roughly how long is each session? Yeah. Okay. So transcendental meditation is a sort of formula. So they, they teach you to do two 20 minute meditations a day. Um, one, I think they say ideally they'd be 12 hours apart. So when I do do two, I'd probably do one when I wake up or after I've had a shower. So I'm a bit more awake. Otherwise I'll fall asleep again at about seven. And then I might do another one sort of late afternoon, early evening, but I, I always do my morning meditation for 20 minutes. I love that. Admittedly, I have not had a meditation practice in years, and um, it's something I should look into again. I love the fact that you're doing that. Well, one thing I would like to say is that I think a lot of people probably think meditation is just something that you do to make you feel calm. But actually, so much insight comes through meditation. I get all sorts of things pop up and crop up in my meditation that really does bring things that are 
under the surface, all the sort of subconscious stuff to the surface so you can actually deal with it. So it's it's quite transformative in that respect. It's interesting. I um I was a Quaker for about 20 years, which is kind of how I developed my meditation practice, quite frankly, because really an unprogrammed Quaker meeting is meditation. And yeah, and, and it's interesting because I was often surprised after I've been doing it for a few years, those personal insights that would just strike me and be like, wow, I didn't realize that. Mm, yeah, yeah, they can be amazing. Really, really can really open your eyes. Absolutely. Well, Natasha, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Listeners, if you'd like to learn more about Natasha's Conscious Works and how you can optimize workplace well-being, then make sure you check out Conscious Works' website at conscious-works.com or reach out to Natasha via her LinkedIn profile. And of course, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I also, as you can imagine, highly recommend taking the time to read Natasha's book, The Conscious Effect, 50 Lessons for Better Organizational Well-Being. I just finished reading it myself, and I have to say it is a delightful read. I'd also like to offer a quick tip if you do get a copy of her book. You see, I read it in the couple of weeks leading up to our recording session, but I will likely go back and reread just one of the 50 lessons each week. During that week, I'll be asking myself, how can I use her lesson from that week in my own life and in my own workplace? Natasha, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you were too busy adding the conscious effect to your reading list and missed those links, have no fear, dear listeners. We will have the links to Natasha's LinkedIn profile, Conscious Works website, and the Conscious Effect book available for you on our show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. While you're on our website, please take three minutes to answer 10 questions in our listener survey. Three minutes, 10 questions. By doing that, you help us keep our content and guests relevant and useful for you. So please tell us how we're doing and what we can be doing even better. Again, you'll find a link to that listener survey at our website at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. And I have one last ask for you today. If you found today's episode useful, if this conversation with Natasha Wallace has helped you think about new ways for your workplace and for your life, please do me a favor and do a friend in your life a favor by sharing it. Anyone that you think could benefit from this conversation, go ahead and just send it over to them. Not only does this help us grow the show and the listener base, but today's topic is also so important and the tips and advice that Natasha shared with us should be spread far and wide. In my own coaching work, I often help nonprofit executives to stop feeling overwhelmed. In fact, I've been doing that so much lately as COVID-19 and the recession has taken hold here in the States that I've created a four-part blog series by the same name, Stop Feeling Overwhelmed. I'll also create a free webinar as a companion to the blog series. So head over to SuccessfulNonprofits.com to check out the blog posts or sign up for the webinar. Listeners, that is our show for the week. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.